tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Here we are. It's the week before Christmas and all through the house or something. There's a poem like that, but I don't know it. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit that right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's open up the big book on the Bible, or the, the coffee table, the Bible, whatever. Oh, yeah, the Bible is the big book. The voice in my head is just clarifying that. All right. Um, this is uh, the reading from the book of Judges. And once again, if you click on the little citation mark, at the at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops site, uh, you can get the whole chapter, um, and there's stuff left out, not a lot, but uh, let's see here. Um, is there anything in there that nah? Th- th- this is kind of an interesting thing, though. The Nazarite vow. Uh, there were people who were permanent Nazarites, and then people would take a temporary Nazarite vow. We see St. Paul taking a temporary Nazarite vow in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, and involved not getting a haircut. So, <laughs> I guess uh, early hippies. I don't know. But uh, Samson took the Nazarite vow, and no razor was to touch his head, no strong drink, no non-kosher foods. Uh, and... Um, this is this is uh, the story of Samson, and it's kind of interesting to me when you look at the story of Samson that God uses people to do great things who aren't always the best people. Uh, this is interesting. The story of Samson is a story of a very flawed human being who is nonetheless used by God, and you know people get all excited about some new evangelist comes through town and there are miracles. I remember being told. I had to go to this Pentecostal church because there were miracles happening there. And I thought, good grief, miracles happen every day in a Catholic church. Um, Well, so I went and this guy was announcing very tragically that he had the entire, all the money he collected that he so desperately needed was in his hotel room and he'd been robbed. And he needed people to, to pony up again so that... Can you imagine this? I mean, nobody would keep a large amount of money in a hotel room if they had two brain cells 
going correctly or working at the same time. But this guy was, well, I remember hearing someone say, well, I was healed when I went up for prayer. Does that mean my healing is going to, if he's, if he's a, a crook, does that mean my healing isn't going to happen? No. You're putting your faith in Christ, not in some human being. And I think that that's an important biblical principle. We we call it in the Catholic Church, ex opere operato, the work having been done. That means a bad priest can say a good mass. Uh, uh, that, that the sacrament is not dependent on the virtue of the of the celebrant, but on the grace of Christ. Now, this is not an ideal situation. And if a priest celebrates uh, a mass uh, knowingly, not in a state of grace, um, that that's uh, uh, what we could, that's sacrilege, uh, not a good thing. But it does not diminish the the um, the reality of of the presence of Christ at Mass. So a a bad man can do good things by the grace of God, and we do not judge ministries. We do not judge people who. Um, uh, we don't judge the holiness of a person by uh, by miracles. We judge them by the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, by their fruits, you shall know them. Well, what about canonization? You have to have two miracles. Yes, two post-mortem miracles. A person can work miracles throughout their whole life, and they are not evidence of holiness. It's the post-mortem miracles, because <laughs> the film is in the can, as they say. Uh, it's over. Uh, that that a good man, uh, I was thinking of a Greek a proverb, uh, count no man happy uh, who still lives. In other words, uh, the jury's not out. You can still end your life miserably, even if you've had a great one. And you can also uh, fall into sin at the end of your life. I remember another story, a, a very saintly monk, a holy, holy monk who's dying. And the devil realized he was going to lose this soul. So he decided to tempt tempt this monk to the sin of presumption. So he disguised himself as a fellow monk who went into the, the cell where where the, the holy monk lay dying on his pallet of straw. And he said to him, well, looks like you made it, brother. And the holy monk leans up on one elbow and says, not yet, and then drops dead. That's Okay, enough said. But, uh, oh, it's Christmas week. I'm being all cheery. But uh, Samson was not a good man uh, in many ways. He repented uh, through the school of hard knocks, but he was not uh, the kind of guy you wanted to bring home to meet your mom uh, if you were a young lady. Well, let's go on to the Gospel of Luke. This is the story, of course, of... um, the the annunciation of uh, of John the Baptist that uh, his father Zechariah, who was in the priestly division of Abijah, there were different clans of priests, all descended from Aaron, and there were thousands of priests uh, because this was priesthood was hereditary. It wasn't an ordination. It was it you were a priest if your father was a priest. You're a member of the of the sacrificial clan. And remember, the word for priest has uh, two meanings in the scripture. One is elder, one one is uh, sacrificer. So we're talking about sacrificers. Sacrificers in the old law were not ordained. All you had to be a sacrificer was to be descended in the paternal line from Aaron, the brother of Moses. 
So there were so many priests that what they would do is they divided up the priestly families into, I think it was a 24, I didn't have to look, into a number of different uh, divisions. And these divisions would, each division I think would, would be called to service in the temple, I think twice a year. I mean, the, the the temple staff was pretty consistent. But if you remember the priestly clan, you were called up, I believe, twice a year. And um, then, uh, 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 even then, they would take lots for the duties because there were still too many priests for the, the duties. They did lots of these. This was a big family, uh, the family of Aaron. So... Uh, Elizabeth was uh, from the daughters of Aaron. And this to me is interesting because Elizabeth is the kinswoman of Mary. So our Blessed Mother, uh, Our Lady, was descended in one part from the family of David because she was married to Joseph, who was from the house of David. And she was in another part descended from the family, the priestly family. So in her person, she combined the, the royal and the priestly line. So Jesus was descended from David, and he was descended from Aaron. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I think that's interesting, because he's priest king, uh, which kings only came from the tribe of Judah, and priests only came from the tribe of, of uh, Levi. Uh, people would say, well, then this couldn't be accurate, because didn't people from one clan, no, you could marry outside your clan. You could marry outside your tribe. Uh, but uh, this was this was an exception here that, that uh, Elizabeth was also from the family of Aaron. Moving on, <clears throat> Zechariah is in the temple. He, now, this would not have been in the Holy of Holies. This would have been in the holy place. Uh, the the uh, second to the innermost court. He, Zechariah was not the high priest, and even the high priest didn't go into the Holy of Holies except once a year on Yom Kippur. So that's not when this is happening. Zechariah was troubled by seeing this, this angel of the Lord standing at the right of the altar of incense. The altar of incense was outside the Holy of Holies. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And he says... This can't happen because, you know, I mean, I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? This is what I really want to talk about here. People look at the the Annunciation, uh, uh, Gabriel's apparition to the Blessed Mother, um, and say, well, didn't Mary say the same thing? Uh, no, she didn't. Let's look at the text here. She didn't say... Uh, well, let's look at the exact text. Okay. She asked, how can this be? Since I am a virgin, since I do not know man is literally what it says. That That's what she asks. It's not what, that's not what Aaron asks. What, or not Aaron, I'm sorry. Zechariah asks, Zechariah asks, how shall I know this? In other words, he's asking, he's saying, show me, prove it to me. Whereas the Blessed Mother is saying, she is, I really believe that she is conscious of her, her Nazarite, Nazarite vow. She seems, at least according to 
early sources, early, uh, I'm particularly thinking of the Protoevangelion of St. James. It is not canonical. It is not inspired, but it also is in the Gnostic Gospel. It's written fairly early in the second century, most probably. In other words, within a long lifetime or just over a long lifetime from the time of Jesus. And there's a lot of fanciful stuff in it. But there's also probably, you know, a lot of real history in it. Uh, <clears throat> Protoevangelion means the first, the first gospel. And again, it is not inspired. It is not uh, 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 part of the scriptures, but it's interesting. According to that, the Blessed Mother had taken a Nazarite vow and was dedicated to the work of the temple. You know, that you'll forgive me, don't shoot the messenger, but work that was considered women's work, which makes sense because men with large hands and clunky fingers are not necessarily great uh, sewers. Well, that kind of uh, work was, there were women who helped in the temple. And it's very interesting because the traditional home of Saints Joachim and Anna, the the, according to the tradition, the parents of, of Mary, it's right at the corner, the northeast corner of the temple. Uh, so of what was the temple. So uh, these things kind of come together. And uh, uh, women and men both did take Nazarite vows. We read about it in the book of Leviticus, that if a woman takes a, a vow of chastity for the sake of the Lord, a vow of virginity, that if her father knows about it and gives his permission, it's binding. If she is then married and the man she to whom she's betrothed knows about it and, and gives permission, well, then it's binding. So this was done. Uh, um, probably pretty rare, but, but it was done. So our Blessed Mother, I suspect, at least in these words, is how, how will this happen? How will this be? Because... I do not know man. Uh, um, I believe she's reminding the angel, if one put it that way, or telling the angel that she is, for the sake of, of, of the temple and of the Lord, she's living a life of chastity. And the angel explains. He says, well, the, the Spirit of God will, will, will overshadow you. Um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And... By the power of the Most High, the power of the Most High will, will overshadow you, and therefore that which to be born of you will be called the Son of God. To which she says, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, she says, be it done unto me according to, to your word. Uh, so she says, yes. Uh, whereas what Zechariah says is, nah, I don't know about this. Uh, how can this happen? And he doesn't say, how can this happen? It's like, uh, how will I know? This, to me, is a very interesting dynamic because this is the sin of Adam and Eve. Eve looked at the fruit of the tree and saw that it was good for food and good for the gaining of knowledge. The sin of Adam and Eve was wanting to know more than God was pleased to tell them. In the letter to the Hebrews, we read that without trust, it is without faith, it is impossible to please God. And you know me, I'm always translating the word trust. See the word uh, faith. You see the word faith in the Bible. You see the, the verb believe. You can always translate them as trust. We're saved by grace through faith. You can read that. We're saved by grace through trust. Trust is about a relationship, whereas faith and belief in our uh, 
understanding often relates just to a kind of intellectual opinion. And saving faith is much more than an intellectual opinion. Trust. It is trust. Trust in what Christ has said and who Christ is. That said, without the letter of the Hebrews, as I I think I just mentioned it, it says that without trust, it is impossible to please God. If you are a parent, you know there's that awful day when your kid stops trusting you, this little apple of your eye, this gem, this joy of your life. You say, where are you going? So what do you want to know? Well, I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I, I, I want to know where you are. You don't trust me. No, kid, it's, you don't trust me because I might say no to where you're going. You understand what I mean? It's a horrible day when that little kid who has depended on you and and you say jump and he jumps you you say i'll catch you and he trusts you all of a sudden he or she stops trusting you it is an awful day without faith let's take the word faith out without trust it is impossible to please god this is the sin of adam and eve they didn't want to trust god they wanted to know what he knew and this is the sin that Zechariah commits, for which he is punished. Our blessed mother was perfectly willing to trust God. But she's saying to the angel, but I have a vow of chastity. And he says, this will be a miracle. Oh, okay. Whereas Zechariah is saying, prove it. Prove it to me. How will I know? How will I know? And I do that all the time. I want to know more than God is pleased to tell me. I want to know the future. I want to know what's going to happen to me. I want to know what's going to happen to loved ones. I want to know where to invest my money. And God's saying, trust me, but I want to trust you. I want to know what you know, the sin of Adam and Eve. So this is why Zechariah was punished by becoming uh, mute. And I suspect it was deaf mute, but that's for another day. We're going to take a break and we will come back with letters. And we are going to open the phones at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our studio line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Learn how our sponsor can support your family with health insurance during 2023's open enrollment. Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We well, here I am, your friend, the Reverend Know-It-All, putting the X back in Xmas. <laughs> Actually, you know, that X in Xmas, that means Christ. It, it's, uh, I can't stand when you say, well, have a nice holiday. And I always say, well, you have a Merry Christmas. Yeah, but, but yeah, the X is the Greek abbreviation for, for Christ. The he, pronounced with a and a he, he. It's it's uh, Christos is the word for Christ, and so the X is the abbreviation for Christ. So there you go. So putting the X back in Xmas. Moving along, uh, let's go to letters. Okay, I got letters. Boy, I got letters. All right, this one. Um, I think I talked about this about handling the snake handling. Okay, I did that one the other day. Um, all right. This is a, a letter from someone uh, talking about uh, Living Streams Ministry, uh, founded by Watchman Nee and followed up by, I think it's his son, Witness Nee. I'm not sure. Uh, we can resume a discussion of the overcomers. This is the overcomers that we never talk about. Um, 
I, that that um, although you never receive any teaching on the subject, there's huge importance as to what's coming during the tribulation. Unless you and all the other Catholics get some proper understanding of its significance and act accordingly, I feel that you are going to be caught up very short as we enter into this seven-year tribulation period. What? You know, I get the biggest kick out of people who who really kind of have read the scriptures and kind of, I, I've got it. This is the hundred days is this and Gog and Magog is that. And this is the Soviet Union. And this is, there has not been a year of my life that has not gone by, that has gone by without someone pinpointing the exact time of Christ's return neglecting the scriptures that say no man knows the day nor the hour, not even the son. Jesus didn't claim to know the hour of his return. What? He was the son of God and didn't know? Yes. He, we read Philippians, the second chapter, which tells us that Jesus laid the rights and privileges of his divinity on the heavenly throne as if a garment. He did not uh, deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but emptied himself. He never ceased to be God, the son of God. But he chose not to know all those things which God's omniscience uh, knows. So I get the biggest kick that, that someone like this will say, I know what Jesus didn't know. Huh? Yeah, I know. It. Well, he's predicting the coming of the Lord. Oh, close enough. The seven-year tribulation. They've got it down. You know, you live each day in the presence of the Lord. You trust God. And... You know, again, if you're curious about the book of Revelations, I personally think the best one written uh, on the book of best practical book written on the book of Revelations uh, since the book of Revelations was written itself is Dr. Hahn's uh, uh, book, The uh, uh, the Lamb's Supper. It's, it's a wonderful book. And he really makes clear the point that the book of Revelation is about the heavenly liturgy in its relationship to the earthly liturgy. And I, I think it's wonderful. So... Patricia, just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm so pleased that you know something that Jesus didn't seem to know. You know all about the end times. <laughs> That's what you can say. All right. I hope that helps a little. All right. Moving along here. I got uh, this is from Tyler. Why is Stephen considered to be the church's first martyr and not John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist uh, as well as our blessed mother had unique grace. We John was not conceived without original sin, but he accepted Christ in the womb. Uh, he 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 was sanctified in the womb by his encounter with Christ at the visitation of our blessed mother. He wasn't immaculately conceived, but he received a special grace. However, you cannot be fully a member of the church without Pentecost. You know, the sacraments of initiation uh, are baptism, confirmation, and First Holy Communion. That brings you into the fullness of the church. Our Blessed Mother was at Pentecost. John the Baptist was not. John the Baptist was not a member of the church I always say our Blessed Mother was the very first member of the church because of her Immaculate Conception, but also because she was present at the cross and was in communion with her divine son there, and she was present at Pentecost. She is the first person, first member of the church. 
She was the first to start the process that ended with her being a full member of the church. And I think you could make the argument that being immaculately conceived, we believe, she was fully a member of the church. John was not immaculately conceived. So why was Stephen considered to be the first, uh, the church's first martyr, not John the Baptist? Because he was the first one martyred after Pentecost. I hope that answers the question, Tyler. All right, let's see here. What what are we doing time-wise? We're doing swell time-wise. All right, let's see here. Um, I got one here that's fun. Uh, this is from someone who's just going by the name LP, which now this, remember my motto, what I don't know, I can always make up. <clears throat> so I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to be creative about this one. Dear Father Simon, I have always wondered why the litany for the poor souls includes those who are buried at sea. Is the intention only for those who willingly plan a burial outside of consecrated ground, or how does this affect sudden death, like the Titanic, or refrigeration when the body can't be kept on board? Is consecrated ground even an issue? No, it's not. Um, <laughs> that, that it is the strongly recommended practice of the church that a bot out of reverence we bury a body in consecrated ground. If you cannot, one of the a saying in moral theology is no one is held to what he cannot do. In other words, if you cannot bury someone in consecrated ground, then you bury them wherever you need to bury them. And so consecrated ground is not an issue here. And I wonder, the Litany of the Poor Souls includes those who are buried at sea. Um, this used to happen a lot. Uh, that that uh, in, in, Centuries ago, there was a good chance if you went to sea for a long trip, you weren't coming home because you died of things like scurvy. And uh, uh, the mortality rate before the 19th century on ships was incredible. Now, I don't know when the Litany of the Poor Souls was written, but burial at sea was a very common thing. So I imagine that's why it was thrown into that litany. That's my guess. So take it with a grain of salt, as we say. But, um, uh, you know, and thank you very much. In terms of uh, burial outside of consecrated ground, you do your best and that's all you can do. All right, moving along. <laughs> At least that's what I think. Okay, where was I? Okay, I got this one. Okay, this is, um, um, I just read, this is uh, from Wayne. Uh, I just read the gospel for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Matthew 1, 18, 24. And I'm wondering what might have become of a pregnant woman in Jesus' time whose betrothed divorced her. I am most interested in the general case of an ordinary woman and her child. You have often mentioned that women of the time could not live independently. They, they really didn't. Um, would she have continued to live with her father and hoped that her child would be a male who would come to maturity before her father died? Well, first of all, there was a marriage contract is a very important part of Jewish life, the contract, the marriage contract. So a man could not simply divorce a woman uh, uh, um, that, that to whom he was betrothed. Uh, unfaithfulness would have been uh, uh, grounds for, for uh, 
And the word, the word, very interesting. The word in in the scriptures. I was talking to somebody the other day uh, that that uh, I think that the way we translate it, uh, the translation that's common in the lectionary is, he meant to put her away privately. That's not what the word really means. It's apolusa, which means, it which means to to uh, give her her freedom, to let her go. In other words, the the marriage contract is off. I'm giving you your freedom. Uh, and also, I'm giving me mine. Uh, that could only be done with grounds. Uh, that's why there were things like dowries, uh, to make sure that this happened. Um, if a woman became pregnant by the man she was going to marry, and that people say, well, they did that. No, they did not. I remember talking to Rabbi, Rabbi Lazowski, and uh, not Rabbi Lefkowitz, may he rest in peace, but Rabbi Lazowski, and he said, no, it just, they, you didn't, you weren't intimate before the wedding. That was un- impossible for someone who's Orthodox, and it would have been very, very difficult. If, however, a woman became pregnant by a man to whom she was betrothed, he would still have to marry her, even more so. Um, and if uh, a woman was pregnant and unmarried, and it was a case of unfaithfulness, she would be stoned to death, which solved the problem of what to do with her. I, I, I know that sounds awful, but it's exactly what, what happened. I suppose in those rare cases where a woman was pregnant and unmarried, she went away somewhere to have the child, as they did until rather recently in our country. So um, the, the, uh, it would have been such a rare event <laughs> uh, for someone to be... Uh, uh, pregnant and unmarried, and uh, if it did happen, the man who had impregnated her would he would have to marry her. He couldn't just divorce her after having impregnated her. It didn't happen that way. So I, I hope that that's my suspicion about the customs of the time from what little I know. I hope that helps. Well, with that pleasant topic, we will go to a break, and we will come back with our word of the day. Oh, 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help with this year's health insurance open enrollment. They offer individual, couple, and family options to best fit your needs. Before January 15th, Visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Merry, 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 merry Christmas. Merry, 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 merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Actually, merry fourth week of Advent. (laughs) So, oh, when I was a boy... It wasn't Christmas till it was Christmas, but hey, the, um, well, let's go to the word of the day. Hello, word of the day. Is there a gong? There's the gong. I'm awake. I need the gong at this point in the show to wake me up. I hope that you're awake. The word of the day is yoke because we have been discussing it and I, Got a wonderful note from the voice in my head and also from from uh, the Colonel of Truth, the Reverend Kentucky Colonel Chick O'Leary, uh, that the citation I was looking for is in the dialogue of Justin Martyr. 
the dialogue with Trypho, T-R-Y-P-H-O, or Trypho, as the Greeks would say it, um, uh, chapter 88, uh, that we've been, I've been, I make a big point out of um, Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and humble of heart, that that would have, in a sense, been kind of a joke. And it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And the reference to Jesus making yokes was right there. Now, a yoke, yugum in Latin, um, oh, the, the, it, it's, it's the collar for an animal. And, and they're very, very important things because in that tropical climate, uh, if a, an animal was chafed by an ill-fitting yoke, that, that he could get an infection and die. I mean, it's a big deal. Matthew eleven twenty nine. So the word yoke is, is, um, uh, very important in, in Greek. It's zygon in, in Latin, it's yugum, uh, uh. Uh, and in English, it's yoke. It's oddly related to the word yoga. Uh, that the Indo-European languages stretch from India to to Iceland, uh, and of course the Americas now. But um, the, the this is a root word, and uh, it, it it it's a very important word because. Jesus is saying, be yoked to him. And I always say with, with yoga, you got to be careful who you're being yoked to. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, not the yoke of some guru. So that said, the, the, let, me, let me find the actual quote. Uh, this is from the Dialogue with Trypho, uh, T-R-Y-P-H-O, chapter 88. When Jesus came to the Jordan, he was considered to be the son of Joseph the carpenter. He appeared without comeliness, as the scripture declared, and he was deemed a carpenter, for he was in the habit of working as a carpenter when among men, making plows and yokes. Now, Justin Martyr lived, well, a century after Christ, not even quite a century. Uh, he lived very close to, to uh, um, where Jesus uh was born and, and where Jesus lived. He, he lived in Nablus, which was the Greek city of Neapolis, uh, who that was just a few miles north of, uh, uh, of, of Jerusalem. He was born about 100 AD. Uh, so he was born a long lifetime after Christ. And it's interesting to think that Jesus was still remembered 100 years later as a person who made farm implements. <laughs> Yokes and plows. And the implication is that he was famous for his yokes and plows, uh, that, that he was so good. And, and one extrapolates that he was so good with animals uh, that he was saying, you think I'm good making collars for animals? Trust me, I'm much better with people. It would have been, oh, this is the carpenter, the yoke maker turned, turned uh, um, preacher, uh, turned rabbi. So I think that's, that's a very interesting uh, Thing. And it certainly is the Jesus that you and I know and love, someone who is so gentle with animals and even more gentle with us. So that's where you get it from. The, the citation is St. Justin Martyr, Dialogue with Trifo, or Trifo, Chapter 88. All right. Very good. Let us now go to, well, phone calls. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? Greg, what can I do for you? From Baltimore. 
Uh, yes, I'm curious about the uh, Salve Regina appended to the rosary. Um, since the Marian antiphons vary in the liturgical year, is, does that vary at the end of the rosary as well? You know, I've never heard it vary. No, no, it's always, I've always heard the rosary ended with the Salve, the Hell Holy Queen. Yeah, that was the impression yeah. I was under. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've never heard it varied. And remember that the rosary is a private devotion, whereas the liturgy of the hours is considered the prayer of the church. It's a public devotion. Uh, and and uh, the mass, the liturgy itself and the liturgy of the hours are kind of, um, they're not, they're, they're not private. They're, 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 they're devotions, which are the mass more importantly, but also liturgy of the hours is, is, um, circumscribed by liturgical rules. So does that help? Sure. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thank you. I'm honored that you listened. God bless Greg. Let's go to Jerry. Oh, (laughs) let's go to Jerry from Austin, Texas. Hi. Hello. I have a question. Yes. Um, my son was raised a Catholic, and he's non-practicing. He got married to a lady who is also raised a Catholic and is now non-practicing. Um, they both been married before. Um, oh, they were both and, married before. Oh. Yes, and they're now they're. Um, they're now married to each other, and um, they are were civilly married. And I was wondering if they come to visit me, can I let them stay here? Boy, I'm really torn and about that. My first, my first indication, because they were married before, is no, because they're committing adultery. I mean, if they were, if they were, if neither have been married before, um, there is even the reasonable chance that, that their common law marriage is valid. I mean, probably not, but we believe that in the, in the Western church, we believe that the bride and the groom are the ministers of the sacrament. Um, it, it, it probably is not valid because they didn't bother to, to have it witnessed by the church, but you never know. But in the case that they were both legitimately married to two other people, they're committing adultery. And all I can say is what I would do. I would not, I would not welcome them to sleep in the same, uh, place together as husband and wife. Um, and, and say, but Ma said, you know, your house, your rules, my house, my rules. And that's tough because they're not going to like you for that. Now, on the other hand, what good will it do? Will it draw them? You want to draw them closer to the Lord. Um, I have a feeling that by letting them do what they want to do, you're not going to draw them closer to the Lord. But by saying it's that important to me that you that you get your life straight with God. I know this is hard to say because a mother, you know, a mother loves her, her kids and she should say, you know, I love you, but you're committing adultery. You have a wife. She has a husband. And, well, we're divorced. Maybe, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. But in the eyes of God, in the eyes, in my eyes, you know, uh, you were married to someone else. You know, I, I, I have a friend who's, whose brother divorced his wife after many, many years. It broke the entire family up. This, You see, this affects not just 
not just the man and woman. It affects the whole family. You know, this person was uh, our brother-in-law for for 20 years, and now all of a sudden he's not. We're supposed to like this new person after we've called this guy uncle such and such for 25 years. He's been a member of our family, eaten at our table. We've We've lived a life together, and now we're supposed to forget him because you have. You see, it affects the whole family. This isn't just this isn't just two people who have a, a romance. No, this is this is a, these are families, and that's why about this I would be. To me, the gravity of it is is intensified by the fact that they were both married before. If they'd not been married before, uh, I would say, are you going to get married? Uh, I'm not comfortable with you sleeping in the same situation until you have a valid marriage but in in your situation i i know this is hard to hear but i you know have them listen to this have them listen to this and they can call in and yell at me instead of yelling at you um but i i just think that that people need to be responsible to the wider group and to realize that families are more than just two people does that answer your question jerry well, let me say that one of them was not married as a Catholic originally. The other one, I think, was, but I'm not sure. Well, they were married before. They were just as married before as they are now, if not more so. Uh, uh, you know, that that did they have children by these first relationships? Um, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, they did have, one of them had, the one that was never uh, was not married Catholic, um, had two children, but not legally. Yeah, I mean, the other I one mean, has yes, has children. They're they're being irresponsible in terms of their relationships to other people. They're being they're being irresponsible in terms of their relationships to other people. And and oh, you can be irresponsible in my house. You can hurt all the people that you know and just claim to love at my house. Not a problem. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, that they have responsibilities to those children. Uh, they have responsibilities to in-laws, to the wider family, and to say that you just want what you want. And why should your wants be more important than my wants in my house? You know, I want you to do things right for the sake of your soul. And, you know, that's, I, I you know, you got to pray about it. You got to do what you think is going to be best for them. But to love is to will the good of another. And to will so much harm for the sake of one's own convenience, well, that's not love. You know, I thought you loved us, Mom. I do love you. That's why I want you to get it right, to make a real commitment if if, if you can. I know that sounds really harsh, and it's not in the spirit of our age, but the spirit of our age stinks. So, at any rate, I, I, I will certainly keep you in my prayers, Jerry, because it's, it's tough, and to make those decisions are very hard. And uh, it just... You know, how can you do this, Ma? I said, no, how can you do this to me? You're hurting. I tried to teach you to live a responsible life, and you've thrown out everything I hold dear. How can you do this to me? Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're, you're not being mean to them. You're not being mean to them. You're, you're, you're demanding that they love one another in a real way. So I will certainly keep you in my prayers, Jerry. It's a tough thing. All right. God bless you. God bless you. It's tough, Thank especially you. at Christmas. Mm -hmm. Really tough. Let's go to Judy from Pompano Beach, Florida. Judy, are you Hello, there? Father. 
Yes, you're I one am. of those Hello, slackers. Father. One of those slackers in Florida. I'm looking out at yes. sub-zero weather here where I am. Oh, that's not bad. It's only twenty. It's twenty-two. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I'm thinking I maybe need to become a bit of a snowbird myself. What can I do for you, Judy? Well, I I'm confused about something. So yes. Mary, as I understand it, Mary had to be sinless in order mm-hmm. to give birth to Jesus. Yes, but well, no, not necessarily. Mary... No, not, I don't. No, oh. I don't. I I think that's the way God did it, but He could have done it another way. Well, I always God like to point anything. out the, the that's yes. Yeah, I always say God has this problem. He thinks he's God. You know, I always point out that that our blessed mother became sinless or was was conceived without the effects of original sin. That's what the immaculate conception meant, so that she could pass on a perfect humanity to Christ, but also so that she could be the first and at that moment the only member of the church. You know, it's about yes. the holiness of the church. It's that's in the preface for the feast. So, so God could have just, you know, just just Jesus is going to be immaculately conceived, um, but but this sin and sinlessness sinlessness don't mix. Uh, that again, God can do as He pleases with that, and in general, sin is an inheritance and grace is a gift. Well, she was given that gift, we call it with prevenient grace. In other words, grace that came ahead of time. She was still saved by the cross. And, uh, you know, it's as if God borrowed the grace of the cross ahead of time and gave it to her. And she had the chance, she had the chance during her life, I would think all of her life, to reject that immaculate conception. But she didn't. She, she, uh. She she accepted it, the, the responsibility. I always think, everyone thinks, oh, that would be great to be immaculate conceived, no tendency to sin. Oh, she was the sorrowful mother. Uh, immaculate conception was a great responsibility, which she accepted. I don't know if that answers but, your question. Go on. Well, not exactly, because how how was Mary's mother, who had sin, able she, to mm-hmm. conceive a child like Mary, who was without sin? Because God is able to do this. God was, okay. how could God make a sinless person, or not a sinless, hardly <laughs> sinless, but a person, how could God make me, a sinner, to be in the state of grace by the mere pouring of water on my forehead? Yeah, God can mm-hmm. do it. You know what I mean? Is it a greater miracle than the miracle of baptism? That, that in a sense, the moment after baptism, uh, the, the human soul is conceived anew. In an immaculate yeah. way, you know that, that is it a greater miracle than baptism? I don't think so. That I, at least for a moment, was absolutely sinless. <laughs> I, I still had the the tendency to sin, uh, you know, and the, the I wasn't immaculately conceived, strictly speaking, even then. But that great miracle of coming from sin into grace—that that's that. Um, Saint Augustine says, "Oh, happy sin that merits such salvation," and. St. Paul says sin, sin abounded that grace might abound the more, that uh, God's response to sin is grace. And I, I, you know, I don't think that, that, that he's limited in that uh, as regards giving the immaculate conception to our Blessed Mother. Does that help a little? Yes. Thank you very much. Have Good. a wonderful day. Merry you Christmas. too, and have a merry, merry Christmas. God bless. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to Kimberly from Alexandria, Virginia. Kimberly, are you with us? I am. Hello, Father Simon. How are you? Hello. I'm pretty good. What can I do for you? The first thing I have to say is, 
First thing I have to say is that I think you're the best thing on relevant radio. So I just have well, to get that out of the way. Oh, the check is in the mail. Don't worry. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, and please write a book of some kind. Anything. Anything would well, be good. I, I actually, uh, I have a number of books. They're on, they're on the web ooh. PDF. I, I didn't put them in print because ah, I don't want to go and sign okay. books. But yeah, I have, well, I have a few books, uh, like the Reverend Know-It-All's Guide to the Big Book on the Coffee Table. Oh, uh, okay. I'll somewhere. have to take a look then. Yeah, I think they can be found on, on the web. We'll have to make sure they are. So, yes, will, but what will, is your question? I will the Google machine. Okay. Uh, there my, you go. My question, my question is, um, I never, ever, ever, ever miss mass. It's like the last time I missed mm-hmm. mass was because I had surgery, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, but last night, uh, yesterday, I was not feeling that good, and I thought, well, I'll go to the last chance mass uh, down down a couple of miles from me, and mm-hmm. that's at 630. Uh, so I was going to rest until then, and I yeah. set my alarm for a little bit before that. My alarm mm-hmm. went off, and I was kind of half in a haze, and I thought I would hit the snooze button, and I was going to get up a little bit later. And by the time I woke up, it was too late to go to any mass. Oh. Now, I'm I'm thinking it was not intentional. Again, it was not intentional. Yeah. I never miss mass. But... Yeah. This is, you know, do I need to go confess this or am I okay? No, no, you don't. And you were ill. So that's, that's, you know, actually, it's a kindness not to go to share your illness with other people. But if you were ill, that's an, that's a, a dispensation right there. And it certainly was not intentional. I know you'll confess it anyway. <laughs> But you don't have to. You're not in a state of mortal sin. So uh, trust me on that. It certainly sounds like it was your intention to go to Mass and just illness and exhaustion got in the way. So uh, I, I wouldn't worry about it. But I know the type. You'll probably say in confession anyway. God bless you. Speaking of knowing the type, Drew is coming up. He's quite a type to know, let me tell you. 